In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, so that is that. Now we must dismantle the tree, putting the decorations back into their cardboard boxes, some have got broken, and carrying them up to the attic. The holly and the mistletoe must be taken down and burnt, and the children got ready for school. There are enough leftovers to do warmed up for the rest of the week. Not that we have much appetite, having drunk such a lot, stayed up so late, attempted, quite unsuccessfully, to love all of our relatives, and in general, grossly overestimated our powers. Happy New Year from W.H. Auden. <laughs> I begin with that selection from the end of Auden's Christmas oratorio because invariably that's how I feel this time of year. Work started again on Monday. The kids are back in school. Worse yet, it's been virtual school all week. A brutal reminder that the holiday season is officially over. Now, if you were at All Souls Epiphany service on Thursday night, you might be thinking to yourself, no, no, Brother Joel, you've got this all wrong. Just listen to Matt Milliner's sermon. Matt movingly reminded us on Thursday that Epiphany Tide, the liturgical season we are now in, is just the antidote to this post-Christmas malaise that Auden describes and in which I and maybe some of you find ourselves now. And yet, even so, it is all too easy to see the feast of the Epiphany and the story of the Magi as just the late conclusion of Christmastide and not the start of a new season of wonder. As Auden continues in his poem, it might seem that the Christmas feast is already a fading memory, and already the mind begins to be vaguely aware of an unpleasant whiff of apprehension at the thought of Lent and Good Friday, which cannot, after all, now be very far off. But for the time being, here we all are. For the time being, here we all are. This is the theme I would like to meditate on today. I don't offer it as a counterpoint or a challenge to anything Matt said on Thursday. On the contrary, I want to suggest that one of the ways we might recover Epiphany Tide, reveling in its pure, bright winter light, as Matt so beautifully put it, is to let the one revealed to the nations in the Epiphany enlighten and redeem our time being. Now, this phrase, the time being, makes us feel that we are in a kind of in-between season, a time following something of significance and awaiting some other significance yet to come. And indeed, we are not wrong to view Epiphany as a kind of in-between season, marking the time between Christmas and Lent, which is, of course, the long preamble to Easter but we would be wrong to say that for that reason, Epiphany is a time of insignificance. Our lectionary makes that clear. Today, on the first Sunday of Epiphany Tide, we always celebrate the baptism of our Lord. 
Our gospel text is always one of the accounts of Jesus' baptism by St. John the Baptist in the Jordan. And on the last Sunday of Epiphany Tide, just before Lent begins on Ash Wednesday, we will hear one of the accounts of Jesus' transfiguration in our gospel reading. Why have the lectioners chosen these two particular events in Jesus' life to bookend this season of Epiphany? Especially since we already have a feast day for the Transfiguration on August 6th. Well, what do the two narratives have in common? Each features a voice from heaven declaring who Jesus is. These two events are the only times in the Synoptic Gospels that God audibly speaks in Jesus' life, giving all who hear a direct divine commentary on who he is. These are moments of unmistakable epiphany. Whatever was hidden about the identity of this man from Nazareth is brought into the light. He is God's beloved son. And this revelation is given at two pivotal moments in Jesus' life. First, at his baptism, the launching point for his public ministry. And second, at his transfiguration, the turning point in his ministry, when he sets his face toward Jerusalem and goes up to his passion. The lectionary bookends Epiphany Tide with these two texts because the focus of this season is on who Jesus is revealed to be in his ministry among us. Christmas is about his wonderful arrival. Lent and Easter are about his passion and glorious resurrection. Epiphany is about the time in between. And it is a time of surprising revelations. As we heard in our Old Testament reading, it is a time when the former things have come to pass and new things are now declared. The major revelation announced in this morning's texts is that God is for everyone. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, says St. Peter in our reading from Acts. In every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Or as we heard from the prophet Isaiah, I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations. This, of course, continues the theme established at the Feast of the Epiphany with the visit of the Magi. Christ is not just Israel's Messiah. He is the light of the whole world, and he draws all people unto himself. But from our standpoint in history, this is hardly a surprising revelation anymore. One could read the history of practically the whole church as the 2,000-year-old legacy of the nations who have seen and gathered around the light of Christ and at their best, reflected it back to all who still walk in darkness. Maybe then the epiphany should be for us an annual reminder of the tremendous gift extended to us in Christ, that we too might be members of the people of God. No doubt it should certainly be that, but I think there is more here than a cautionary word to Gentiles like ourselves not to take our faith for granted. Let's take a closer look at our gospel text. I was surprised by how brief Luke's baptism narrative is. The accounts in Matthew and Mark are so iconic, I assumed Luke's was the same. As Jesus is coming up out of the water, the heavens are opened, 
the spirit descends and we hear the voice from heaven. But that's not quite how St. Luke tells it. He places the moment of epiphany after the drama of the baptism. And he condenses the baptism itself into a perfunctory introduction. Let's hear it again. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended, and a voice came from heaven. He makes it sound like the baptism itself was a rather unremarkable event. We can picture Jesus standing in line with all the other rank-and-file followers of John, getting dunked in the Jordan, and then wandering off to sit on the bank and pray. Only then does the moment of epiphany break onto the scene. It's almost as if Luke knows what our expectations are going into the story, and he deliberately subverts them to make a point. Sometimes the revelation doesn't come when we think it will. At the height of the drama, in the heat of the moment. Sometimes it comes in the ordinary, in-between moments of our life, after the event is past, which doesn't now seem quite as extraordinary as we thought it might. Sometimes it comes when we are quietly praying. This, I think, is where we get a glimpse of how God, revealed in Christ throughout Epiphany Tide, might enlighten and redeem our time being. The Christmas feast is indeed now past, and maybe it wasn't everything we hoped it would be, certainly not long enough at any rate. Our next big liturgical seasons lie ahead of us in Lent and Easter. I imagine there are also many other things we are anticipating now at the beginning of a new calendar year. We are certainly all still waiting to reach the other side of this pandemic. We, will we finally find something like normalcy in 2022? As a parish, we are anticipating both a new rector and a new bishop. What will that mean for us? How will new leaders shape the life of our community? What else are you anticipating this year, either eagerly or with dread? Each of these anticipations represents its own coming epiphany. What it will be like for us when it comes is still to be revealed. And I dare say this year will bring its fair share of epiphanies we are not now even anticipating. And so we find ourselves alongside the people at the beginning of our gospel, filled with expectation and questioning in our hearts. The epiphany they received, fulfilled, disappointed, and exceeded their expectations all at once. They were right that the Messiah had finally arrived, but they were wrong about who he was. He wasn't the eccentric prophet they had all been coming to hear. He was one of their own number, lining up to be baptized at the prophet's hands. But who he was is beyond anything anyone anticipated. He is God's own son, whose identity announced at his baptism means for us, as our collect reminded us, that in our baptism we are born again as God's adopted children. So what Jesus heard after his baptism 
is God's word for us too. You are my beloved child, and I am pleased with you. Whatever epiphanies await us in the coming year, anticipated or not, I promise you this, that word is unshakable. And the one who speaks it, who spoke it then, speaks it still. At the height of our excitement, in the depths of our anxiety and disappointment, and through all the time in between. What do we do then for the time being? Well, as Christmas tide fades into memory, let us not forget the words of the angel of the Lord to the shepherds. Fear not. The child who was born has come to save us and to make us God's beloved children. Whatever happens, we do not need to be afraid. But we might also take a cue from Jesus in his baptism. After the main event and before the next big thing, in this time in between at the dawn of a new year, maybe we too could make a habit of quiet prayer. That's surely the best way to prepare for any epiphany. Amen.